See, I've been watching and waiting, anticipating all the love that you said you're sending on your overnight express. Damn, you're looking fine in that dress that you're wearing. You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show in Los Angeles, California, where folks read their letters on stage. Real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, improvised letters based on audience suggestions, and letters we wish we could write. Greg Venneclausen returns to the show with the Archie letters. In this installment, his great-great-grandfather Archie writes from 1919, where he is huddled in a tent in Arizona during a storm. Dearest, I did not get back in time last night to write. I was out with Robert Beardsley and the New York people. We waded the Agua Fria and ran all over the land in our autos. It is pretty tiring, but not altogether unpleasant. It is nice to meet new people, etc., and to be out in the open. Yesterday was a good day, but today windy and dusty. I counted up my time today and find I can only make out for this month by staying over through Thanksgiving. What do you think of my staying over into the next month and getting that much longer vacation at Christmas time? I hate to do it, but some more Beardsley's people are coming out in the middle of December, and if I get that extra work and the Paradise Verde 2 before Christmas, I hate to leave the office so long and may have to come over anyhow. I wish you would call the NIMS and see if our tax bill has been sent to them. I have not seen it and do not want to go into penalty. Perhaps Mr. Eisenberg would be the best one to call. I'm glad you saw Harry Lauder. I've wondered if the Scotch style of humor would strike an American as really funny. Best love, Archie. Camp on New River, Thanksgiving Day, 1919. Dearest, I don't know when I shall be able to mail this letter for we are marooned up here with a raging stream on each side of us, the New River on one side and Skunk Creek on the other. Last night, Mr. Bartlett, the chief of camp, left for Santa Fe, and Mr. Norman, the instrument man, had left the night before for Flagstaff, so I thought it up to me to go up and stay over Thanksgiving with the boys. It was raining when I left Glendale, driving Mr. Bartlett's Ford car, loaded up with potatoes, bread, chickens, cranberries, etc. But the car was working well, and I got along fine until I came to Skunk Creek. There was no water, but there had been a lot of it the night before, and the crossing was filled with sand and boulders with a very steep bank on the opposite side to climb after pulling through the sand. I only made it up about halfway on the bank and had to back down into the bottom. I worked about three quarters of an hour backing and taking runs at it, and it got dark. Finally, I took all the load off the machine and by an extra hard spurt made it up the bank. I was quite relieved, and outside of the trouble of driving in the dark with mud spattered all over, I got into camp all right. Last week, a car got stuck in Skunk Creek, and before they could get it out, the flood came and carried it down about half a mile downstream. That would have been my case if I hadn't succeeded in pulling out last night, for it rained and rained all night. And this morning, the first thing we heard was the roar of the new river. If our dam were in today, we should have a good body of water stored up after this storm. 
It is so wet and windy that we cannot stir out of these tents without getting soaked, and the tents leak of plenty too. But the cook is getting Thanksgiving dinner, and these fellows are all young and cheerful. All but the cook are recently out of the army, and all have the ways and talk of the camps of France. One fellow named Jack Deckard is a gem of a type. He was in the Marine Corps, and he keeps the camp in good spirits all the time with his constant stream of talk and continual antics. Everything is along the military line. He whistles the bugle calls for meals, etc., and is always doing something. On this cold day, he only wears a sleeveless undershirt, pants, and shoes. Last night, I slept warm and snug in army blankets and my bathrobe. They all hooted at the bathrobe in camp. It seemed as if the tent would blow down or be floated off during the night. The rain was coming so hard. I have my flannel shirt and plenty of clothes, two pairs of shoes, so I'm all right. They have a good pile of wood to burn and a stove in the tent. We have two tents set up together end to end to live in and sleep in, and a separate cook tent. The cook is always complaining he can't get the fire to draw. It's so wet and windy. He's like most cooks, always complaining about his outfit. But he gets up good meals. If he only had things fixed up like they had him in Spokane, etc., he would show us that he was a real cook. He came down to spend the winter where he thought the air would be good for him. I guess he's finding out things in Arizona and real camp life. But the boys all like him. He says they certainly are hearty eaters, and he's right. I can string this out just as long as I want to because there's nothing else to do and no chance to do anything else. The rain is beating steadily on the roof of the tent, and it's only 11.45 a.m., yet with prospects that it will continue just so all day. The floor of this tent is just dirt. I have a newspaper to step on when I get out of bed. There are gloves and coats hung up to dry, guns lying around, and five cots with blankets and canvas. One of the boys has just finished doctoring half a dozen boils spotted around on different parts of his body, one on his big toe. One man has a Ford car of his own fixed up for camping, and he sleeps in it by himself. He has a collie dog, and they have recently come from Indiana. We have three Fords in camp, one's a truck. Uh, a horse or two would be better in an emergency. But with all this rain, the boys say they like it better than when it was dusty and windy. This morning, the coyotes came out and yelped at us. I guess they were hidden under the rocks and holes all night. There's not much game out here, but they found and killed a badger. Chief, the dog, always hears them first and rushes out into the brush to find them. After dinner, we've had a fine Thanksgiving dinner. The cook boiled down the chickens because the oven was not big enough to roast them. And he made some good cranberry sauce. There wasn't any pie, and the cook bawled out one of the boys for asking about it. With such an outfit and the wind blowing the smoke down the chimney, the idea of a pie was an insult. But he told me privately he was getting pies ready for supper. It has rained right along until now, but the storm has lulled a little, and there's quite a light in the sky in the southwest. It is over the banks of the north of us, and a small stream has begun running across the mesa just behind the camp. We have all been discussing what we should do if the river should flood us out in the night. I said I'd go sit in one of the cars until the storm went down. Two of them are putting out new ditches around the tents to turn the water away from them. What we need here are rubber boots, 
Who would think of it in the desert? There are two old Saturday evening posts, half soaked with rain, and the boys have read everything down to the advertisements and discussed all of it up and down. Jack will not let anybody get grouchy. If they do, he tells them about it, and of course they promptly deny it. Back in Phoenix, just got in camp after the two days. All okay. May have to go out again tomorrow, so do not worry if you do not hear from me regularly. Just in time for the train. I'll probably find your letters at the house when I go up there. Lots of love to everyone, and especially you, Archie. Christine Blackburn reads the adorable letter she wrote to her big sister when she was only nine years old. We've moved forward, and now the year is 1975. And I am the youngest of six children in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a little suburb outside of Pittsburgh. Jimmy Carter is the president, and I am writing letters to my older sister who has left for college. There are seven letters. Dear Karen, Hi, how are you? I can't wait till you come home. I have a surprise for you. I hope I can finish it in time. Mr. Huggins got a man to come to his house with big bulldozers and everything. He's building another garage. He has a hole bigger than Mr. Huggins on top of Daddy's head, so it's really deep. When is the car show? I'm going to ask Daddy if he can take us. I hope he can take us, and I can pay my own way. I have $3.07. I hear Henry Winkler's going to be there. I was obsessed with Fonzie and Happy Days, and you'll hear it in the letters. The mud pies are doing swell. I made so many more, I got more dirt from Mr. Huggins. One of the mud pies has a face with chips for hair and a mustache, it's really cute. I gotta go to bed now, Good night. I love you, Christine. Write back and answer all my questions. Let's recap the questions. How are you? When is the car show? <laughs> this is the scrapbook, by the way, my sister Karen made for me. Uh, and she gave it to me in 1992. I had just, my ex-husband had just gotten another girl pregnant. So yeah, I'm flexible, but not that flexible. And uh, anyway, I was having a bad Christmas and my sister compiled this entire scrapbook and there's all these pictures and I mean, it's fabulous, it's fabulous. Anyway, okay, here we go, moving on. Now this is dated November 12th, 1975. Dear Karen, please don't read out loud. Hi, how are you? Don't show Tracy this letter. On Tuesday, Tracy was putting on the good act in the afternoon, and in the morning we went to Giant Eagle, and Mommy gave me the list, and you know how their carts are? Well, I sat at the bottom, and me and Tracy did all the shopping while Tracy pushed. I checked off the list as we got something. Then we got home, and Tracy got to babysit Jamie from 12 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, and she got $6. That is no fair. Lauren, Mommy, and I helped too. Scott got $6 for working in the yard. Mrs. Huggins was supposed to be home at 4 o'clock, but she got stuck in traffic. Don't tell Tracy I told you. I got three A's and four B's on my report card, but guess what? I got a D in math, and I got a C in health, and Lori got a D, and Chris got all A's, and she really did. She was really happy, and she got all O's, too. And that gets me mad. Man, she even got an O in behavior. Well, my hand's getting tired, so I gotta go. Bye, I love you. Okay, dear Karen, uh, March 27th, 1976. 
Dear Karen, in school, we are not positive going on a field trip, April 2nd. It's a Friday, and we need two adults for each class to come with us. Maybe you can come. We're going to a musical in Butler. It's the best one. It's called 1776. It's a bicentennial program, and it's in a movie theater. And then that will be over at 12 o'clock, and then we're going to McConnell's Mills to eat lunch and walk around. The only thing wrong is that we have to pay $1.50 to get into the movie theater. Mr. Tarby got the class picture today, but we didn't get ours yet. I saw me, and I look horrible. I look so pale, just like Lisa in that picture with us six. The other people look great, but not me. I just had to look like a ghost. Did you get me something from downtown yet? If you didn't, try to get it soon. Come home this week on Friday at 5, because we're having a math test on Monday. Dear Karen, I'm sorry I couldn't write to you the other night, but I had to go to bed. Yuck. Did you like my picture? I made you another one. Here's a magnet for you. You can keep it for keeps if you want. I hope you like the picture in the magnet. You're not getting any chocolate cake, though. I love you very much, but I hate Mrs. Dat. She is so mean, it's sickening. I love you very much. Dear Karen, we got who we wanted on the field trip. Tom, Todd, Lori, Chris, and me. Mommy said she will make us a whole mess of peanut butter fudge. We don't have to sit three in a seat either on the bus because we're taking two buses. Mommy will probably have to go to work, so I don't know if she'll be able to drive you up. But how about if I go on the bus and you go with Mommy when she leaves? About 8.20. I can't wait. Okay, my friend gave me Henry Winkler's address. I have it when you come home. I'll show it to you. Well, I have to go to school. It's already 8.05. The bus comes at 8.20. Right soon. Love, Christine. Now, here's what happens, you guys. My sister, she gets married. Okay, she's, she's in college. She quits college, and she gets married. She's 21. And so now she's not living at home, and she's not living in college. She gets married, so I think she's going to move back home. I don't, you know what I mean? In my head, she's getting married, but I don't know. So here we are, February 15th, 1976. Dear Karen, you did not tell me you were leaving right after the wedding. Now I am very sad. I don't want to eat or anything. Everything is going wrong. You did not tell me you were moving. And tomorrow I will have to go big grocery shopping, and I don't ever want to do that. I feel terrible. Have a miserable day, Christine. <laughs> P.S. I can't write anymore because I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, and Daddy said he can't send it in tomorrow. He doesn't have work, but he will bring it in on Tuesday. That's the day Happy Days is on, my favorite show. Okay, now, last letter. She, we, she has now, she's married. She's married, she's moved on. And I, it's the last letter in the book. Here it is. Dear Karen, well, you're married. I'll come visit you all the time. Why don't you have a little baby? It'd be really cute. When I get married, I want to have a little girl, and I'll call her Stacy Lee. I did have a little girl. <laughs> I named her Alabama. <laughs> I really love that name, Stacy Lee. When you read this letter, Stanley will probably be really big. Well, at least he'll be able to walk. Well, I better go because Happy Days is almost on, and that's my favorite show. <laughs> I read a letter that was submitted through the website wishing a certain Ernie a happy birthday. Dear Ernie, happy birthday, sincerely, Carolina. Just kidding. I have just a little bit more to say. Although I met you just a short while after your previous birthday, this past year has been something all too cool for me. You were there to make my birthday a memorable one, and now here I am, hoping to make your birthday just as momentous. And you know what? 
Not only did you make my birthday something worth remembering, but you have also made our time together very dear to me. With all of the incessant turmoil that has been going on in my life, you have no idea how grateful I am that you have stood by my side through it all. I mean, my gosh, you are my hero. Putting up with my bitching and moaning, my crying and my sudden transmogrification from a pleasant, joyful gal, so I'd like to think, to a silent little pain in the ass who keeps you on edge. You, my fine, fine gentlemen, are the best. I don't care how silly or childish this is going to sound, but I just think you are so, so cool. You're musical, which to me is the best attribute anyone could ever have. You're very respectful, you have manners, you are strong, and I don't care if you don't agree with me, but I just think you're so damn cute. Anyway, I just wanted to make your birthday a happy one. It's the least I could do, and it's the least you deserve. So happy birthday, Ernie. I am so glad to have been able to spend this special day with you. All my love, Carolina. Thank you. So sweet. Mindy Sterling and Kevin Bernson improvise correspondence between an auto shop and a customer that reduces the audience to hysterics. Dear Mr. Peters, uh, thank you for bringing your car to Carl's Body Shop and Cafe. We have had your car here for over a week and made numerous calls to you to tell you to pick it up that it is ready. Carl passed last week. So we have not been in the office but I have checked in from time to time and I have not received a, a phone call or any correspondence from you regarding your motor vehicle. The office is very busy lately since we had to close down for Carl's passing. So we'd appreciate it if you got in touch with us and let us know when you will be picking up your motor vehicle. I believe it's a red Taurus with the license plate VV06. Please let us know at your earliest convenience. Thank you. Andriana, manager of the office. Dear Andriana, Thank you for getting in touch. And my deepest condolences about Carl's passing. We didn't talk often, and when we did, it was often about my carburetor. But he seemed a good man. The license plate to which you refer is a personalized plate, hence the shortened nature of it. VVOC is a reference to Henry Winkler, my favorite actor. Thank you for getting in touch with me via mail. Telephones are so cliche these days. Yours truly, Rick Peterson. Dear Mr. Peterson, thank you so much for getting back to me in a quick fashion. Uh, there's been a problem with the Taurus. We had it in spot number six, 
and there was an accident in the parking lot Halloween night. Some kids were in the parking lot, dot, dot, dot. Our security camera was broken, dot, dot, dot. But we could tell there was some kind of a fight to which your car was smashed and barely unrecognizable. We're so sorry for this inconvenience. As I've stated earlier, if you had picked up the car when it was ready, there wouldn't have been this problem. We are not responsible for any of the things that have happened to your vehicle, so don't sue us. Andriana. Dearest Andriana, I was going to quote Shakespeare, but couldn't find anything worthy. I am deeply, deeply in some sort of emotional molasses right now over Carl's passing, hence the slow nature of my retrieving my car. I am saddened to learn my red Taurus has been moved from spot six. I demand some sort of removal of my car back to spot six at once, or litigation will be necessary. In addition, I sensed a palpable sexual tension in your last letter. This is something I'd like to explore. Please respond promptly. I'm sending this registered mail, so I'll know when you get it. Signed, Peterson. Dear Mr. Peterson, I'm sorry it has taken me so long to get back with you. Ellie, our intern, forgot to tell me that this letter was sent and received. She signed off on it, but did not save the receipt. So I didn't know what the hell was happening. <laughs> Regarding your spot number six, as I had stated earlier on Halloween, that area has been destroyed. We have not been able to get a group of Mexicans to come in <laughs> and redo the concrete for that parking space. So we just put cones there. <laughs> Regarding the tension that you're feeling, I'm glad you feel it. I didn't know how to tell you that I was attracted to you when you first entered with your Taurus. But since our correspondence has taken so long, I'm dating someone else. So I don't know if I have it in me to date two of you, but I'm willing to try. <laughs> I am only working part-time now. So if you want to see me, you have to catch me in the mornings here as I leave and go play tennis at the local YMCA every day from three to four. Andriana. Dear Andriana, 
I just noticed the accent on the third syllable of your name. Sorry for the nine-month delay in responding to this. I felt a little stuck when I found out there was a possible love triangle. And... But I welcome it as a challenge. I am still carless, so getting to the tennis club, at, a.k.a. the YMCA, ha, 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 LOL, will be hard unless I use public transportation. Could you have Allie pick me up and drive me? She sounds like a wicked, mean girl, but maybe we could change her with a little responsibility. I know that changed me when I was a young man. Ha ha ha, LOL. BYOB. Ha ha ha, LOL. I don't drink that much. But I'd like to at the tennis club. So I'll bring some Mike's Hard Lemonade. See you there. <clears throat> Peterson. Dear Mr. Peterson, your letter has disturbed me quite a bit. I thought I had gotten away from people who drink and don't make sense <laughs> in any kind of transaction to me. My ex-boyfriend would text me late at night while he was on some kind of dope. I personally do not drink, nor do I smoke, nor do I shoot up. But I do do something called twilighting. <laughs> that is sitting in the dark and closing my eyes and thinking and seeing the light through my eyes is a psychedelic manner. Perhaps I can teach you how to do that without having to drink and take some other kind of substance that could kill you. I would be more than happy to pick you up as Ellie, not Allie, has quit. Adriana. Andriana, your letter touched me in ways I didn't think were possible. Perhaps because you're not the only one who has twilighted. Indeed, I am vice president of the Twilight Club here in Pacoima. So you have a friend in me. I have arranged for the curtains to be drawn and the sheets to be changed. And I invite you to my place this Saturday, 11-ish. Wear something comfortable. <laughs> LOL, Peterson. Mr. Peterson, I would be more than honored to join you at that time as I have not met too many people that twilight anymore. I am also a big surprise for you. I won a red Taurus in a sweepstakes at my church. I don't particularly care for this car, but I know it was very close to you. I will be giving you this car as I will be giving you my love. I will see you at 11, Adriana. Adriana. 
I am heartened by the fact that you are a member of a church. <laughs> that makes me feel safe. Oh God, my wife just walked in, got it, can't finish. Diana Barone reads an intense letter to an ex that leads to an interesting revelation. Dear Paul, I really don't want to be intense, but fuck you. Just a week ago, I liked you a lot. Shivery-like, as you said, whole body, shivery, desiry-like. And now I am still shivery, but it's a fluish 103 fever vomiting diarrhea shiver. I am a dumb idiot dumbass for believing that you wanted a real honest relationship in your life, that you wanted to work on your fear of deep human intimacy. I took what you said at face value, probably because your face is so fucking valuable, so fucking handsome and perfect, which maybe, yes, made it easier to be compassionate against my better nature. Oh, and I don't appreciate you telling me I should have clarified our exclusivity. You begged me to stay with you when I tried breaking it off. Remember when you slept over that first time and didn't call the next day, even though you said you would, especially after you claimed that it was the best orgasm you'd ever had? I mean, that deserves a call, right? I did stuff, I did stuff to give you that orgasm, but whatever, fine. Each time you broke a date or a promise, I tried to end it, but you'd bat those blue-green fractal eyes and run your fingers through your sunshine hair and I'd fucking melt, fuck you. So not even for a moment did it occur to me that you intended to work on things with us by fucking a race car driver. Where'd you meet her anyway? What bothers me the most is that you'd slept with her already when you begged me to see you for three dates in January after I tried to break up with you on New Year's. No, no, no. What actually bothers me the most is that she's a redhead and you posted pictures of you guys on FB already and she's a fucking race car driver. I can drive fast, you know. I'm a very aggressive driver. And obviously she doesn't hold you accountable. You've never even been tested for STDs for God's sake, never, who are you? She slept with you, well, I wouldn't until you did, making that orgasm I gave you even more impressive, by the way. Why do you have to be so friggin' tall and lanky? Lanky is a weird word. Do you confide in her about your unloving dad, your inability to hold a job, that thing with the police? I knew it was all crap, but somehow the golden boy begging me to stick it out, the high school homecoming king asks the short little Jewess to be in his life. Hard to say no to that, even if he's never dated anyone for more than four months. Oh, Paul, I've been crying so much. It hurts so deeply. I want to run away from my body. But then I remind myself that you're a douchebag, and that helps. You said our chemistry was like the kids and ordinary people. And that's why you were crazy about me. But I've just realized that they're both seriously suicidal. <laughs> Doesn't she kill herself in the end? Jesus, who are you? I probably won't send you this letter at all. Maybe I'll just do that weird Seattle meditation weekend 
that Nyella told me about so I can figure out how not to give a shit and not to hate you, douchebag asshole prick. Do you remember that time we undressed each other slow-like? Fuck you, your ex-almost-girlfriend, Diana. The postscript to this is I went to the meditation weekend. Like in this, it didn't even matter, but it just it depressed me. The whole thing. I wanted to kill. My, I wanted to be like that girl in Ordinary People, kill myself. So I went to the. It was really. It was like the only time I've been suicidal. And so I went to this meditation weekend, and it changed my life. And. I started meditating five times a day in order to, like, to live. And uh, I am now teach meditation and I do energy work. And so this fucker changed my life in a really positive way. And he broke up with the race car driver after five months. So, I mean, she got him an extra month, but the f yeah, so. My name is Jane Entwistle, and I read a desperate letter to the Discovery Channel. Dear Discovery Channel, please, for the love of God, stop airing my episode of I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. I honestly feel this is turning into something more sinister on your part. It's been six years, six! Since my episode first aired, you got your money's worth out of me, a measly $200, with nary a cent more, so stop it, just stop it! <laughs> I can't answer any more calls from relatives in England asking how the baby is doing. <laughs> I can't continue denying to strangers that they did, in fact, see me on the television giving birth on a bathroom floor to a baby I didn't know I was having. When people say, I didn't know you were pregnant, I'm tired of explaining, I wasn't, I'm a reenactor. <laughs> I mean, I was a reenactor. Back then, when desperation prevailed over pride or logic or common sense, or even the understanding that just because you get paid once for a beast like I didn't know I was pregnant, doesn't mean it will air just once. On the contrary, it has aired hundreds of times, possibly thousands, for six years! It would appear that people all over the world are obsessed with the notion that a woman can be pregnant and not know it, and they want to see it recreated in gruesome detail. It was one thing to give me a temporary facelift so that I could portray the younger version of the woman I was reenacting. An experience that was harrowing, using tape and elastic to pull my face into a leering mask that made it almost impossible to speak. <sighs> Equally mortifying was the size 3X nightgown and beige granny panties you had me don so that when I laid on the bathroom floor, there was ample room to hide a real baby under there. <laughs> A baby slathered in goopy mixture of flour and red food coloring. A baby mewling and squirming against my inner thighs, kicking at the billowing nightgown so that I resembled a macabre circus tent with a demon baby performing a twisted tumbling act inside. 
To add to my humiliation was the fact that the actor hired to play my husband holding the baby under my nightdress had an up-close and personal view of my voluminous panties. But it was another thing entirely to feed me beans for lunch. Was there no thought, no consciousness given to the fact that mere minutes after consuming a plate of beans, I would be tasked with lying on a bathroom floor simulating childbirth, pushing until my face turned red and my knuckles turned white? After lunch, the director, manning the camera himself, banished all crew from the bathroom so he could capture a wide-angle shot. Tiny microphones were nestled amongst towels and little pilings of soap to record my grunting and groaning and panting. The director squatted in the shower holding the camera whilst my husband sat peering under my nightie. Yes, yes, I like it when your face turns red, whispered the director. Push, push, he commanded. And as I applied all of my theatrical training to the task at hand, pushing like Sisyphus with his damn boulder, I pushed out a mammoth fart. <laughs> so powerful was my expulsion of bean gas, the director fell over in the shower. And my pretend husband fell flat on his back. I am not even exaggerating. It was decided a five-minute break was in order. And as I emerged from the bathroom exhausted, sweaty, and humiliated, the makeup artist pounced upon me. Are you okay? She asked. Yes, I'm fine, I muttered. Are you sure? She asked, fishing for something that made me nervous. I'm fine, I barked, tripping over my nightgown. Why? Well, we're all on the same walkie-talkie channels, so... Oh, fancy. My fart was broadcast to every crew member on and probably off the premises, a gas bubble erupting intimately into the headphones of everyone present. Once the show aired, I held a small premiere party in my home forcing all memories of facelifts and gooey babies and farts into some distant recess of my mind. It was, after all, my first major television appearance, and it needed to be celebrated, right? Yes. yes. Wrong! It was... I didn't know I was pregnant! <laughs> the raucous laughter from all who watched that night necessitated a constant rewinding of my scenes, despite my feeble pleas of, but it's not supposed to be funny! <laughs> Please, Discovery Channel, do the right thing. Put the beast to bed and come up with a new fascination for people to obsess over. My pretend TV baby wants to grow up in privacy, slipping into the smog, never to be heard from again. Please, please, I'm begging you. Sincerely, Jane. I just heard the news. You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Jane Entwistle and Justin Crane, and recorded live at the Lyric Hyperion Theater and Cafe in Silver Lake, California. 
The musician for this episode was Mike Bauer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single letter. Follow us on Twitter, at The Letter Show. And if you have a letter you'd like to submit, whether you live near or far, or you just want to say hi, visit readyourletter.com. Because you got on one knee and asked you